Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Baird. Once again, Andrew will join us later in the podcast when I kick Nathan off and we tackle a bigger issue looking forward to Ohio State's current players as they start spring practice next Tuesday. But for right now, we're talking about the former Ohio State football players. Day two for Nathan Baird from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Get the text 614-350-3315. All the information we're getting ready to talk about on this pod. Well, you would have gotten it yesterday morning if you were signed up for the text and got a two-week free trial. And then $3.99 after that, 614-350-3315. He talked with Kate Stover and he talked with Josh Proctor as the tight ends and the safeties went on Thursday. Let's start with Kate Stover first. Apparently, there was a conversation, Nathan, about why he decided to play in the Peach Bowl last year, but in in, in but it was in relativity of why he decided to play in the Cotton Bowl this year. Do I have that correctly? And what did he have to say about that? Uh, well, no, he he said that uh, his agents had advised him not to play in the Cotton Bowl. Okay. And um, it was obviously there was some question going into the Cotton Bowl. He hadn't made an announcement until we got to uh, Dallas and talked to him, and, and he confirmed that he was going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were obviously other players in Dallas, including Tommy Eichenberg and Marvin Harrison Jr., who were along for the trip but didn't play. And mm-hmm. there was question as to whether that applied to Kate Stover or not, but he he did say he was going to play, and he did play in that game. And he said that his agents had advised him not to play in the game. And I just tried to picture that conversation where an agent tries to tell Cade Stover. Now, it's one thing if you're going to Tommy Eichenberg and saying, listen, your elbow's dislocated. You, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, admit now that you shouldn't have been, you couldn't play. You maybe shouldn't have been playing against Michigan unless it was the most important game of your life, which it was. So that's a different conversation. To go to Cade Stover, who was pretty healthy. I mean, I know he was wearing the leg brace. So that is a factor. He did have a lingering injury that needed rest and rehab and all that stuff, I'm sure. Needed treatment. But he was not injured. He was hurt, not injured at that mm-hmm. stage of the season. So to to go up to him and tell him, uh, you need to sit out this New Year's Six bowl game because you might like that. I, I know what the answer was going to be, but you still. Fo- so I still followed up and said, 
so this is where the Peach Bowl came into the conversation because I mm-hmm. said, okay, well, you said they advised you not to play and you kind of told them to pound sand. And, but at the same time, like I was there at the Peach Bowl, like you got flipped upside down on your head and um, got, you spent, you, you watched that game, the end of that game at the hospital. In fact, I don't think you got to watch it. I think you were just at the hospital and, and watching the confetti come down eventually or whatever out in the hallway. And so it's, it's a tangible thing, right? It's not a theory that Cade Stover plays in such a way that exposes him to injury. And again, different scenario. That was a national championship chase as opposed to, you know, kind of the, the next tier down when you're playing in the, in the New Year's Six. But I understood. And I, I asked the question, you know, what about your obligation to yourself, your obligation to your family, your obligation to your future family, like that yeah. is going to exist someday that I assume that, that, that doesn't exist now. And his response was, my obligation to my team is my obligation to myself, was essentially what he said, that he, he uh, didn't feel like, you know, it, it felt like it would have been counter to why he was on the team in the first place. It would have been counter to the culture that he had helped build in, in that team over the last few years as a, as a captain and as an important voice in that offense. So just it's, it's the combine is often a great time because a lot of the stuff that has to do with them being draft prospects is just already there. Like it's, it's very much in your face Mm -hmm. and once in a while you'll get a good storyline along those lines. But a lot of times the combine interviews and the Ohio state contingent that comes over, it's, focused on a couple of things. It's filling in the blanks of things that happened during the season. And we did that on the first day with Tommy Eichenberg, for instance, getting more of the details of his injury situation and then projecting in the future, asking them about the guys they are leaving behind and what they think about those guys. And this was just a way to, to fill in some more of the blanks of why Cade Stover completed his career the way he did. It wasn't like he had a huge role in that game, and it was obviously a a messed up game from the start almost from an Ohio State standpoint. But he thought it was important that he was there helping lead that team, passing something on to this next group that's coming up behind. Um, And that's a mentality that Ohio State needs to find this year. You can't always just assume that that edge is going to be there. And the guys that they had as captains this past year had real edge, whether that was Stover and Eichenberg who wore it on their sleeves. Xavier Johnson, it's a different sort of edge, right? It's not as in your face or as um, gruff, I guess you would say to some extent, like it's Mm -hmm. not, he's not mistaken for a, a lumberjack or whatever the same way. But uh, still, a, a, the edge of like perseverance and sacrifice and putting things on the line, you know, I, sometimes that stuff can get overblown. Talent is, I think, at the end of the day, the most important thing to get you to a certain level. But you're going to have to grind through some important, tough places along the way, too. And Ohio State, now we're kind of on the lookout for which guys fill those check those boxes on this, this next team. We already have talked about some of those candidates, right? Whether it's Denzel Burke, whether it's, um, um, Cody Simon. Yeah. Cody Simon's a, a potential one. Yeah. I mean, the guys up front, Jack Sawyer is a guy yeah. that maybe fits. So I'm trying to think of who it could be on offense. So that's probably where they need it to, to, I mean, Donovan Jackson, Donovan Jackson has taken a more vocal lead 
with that whole team and especially among the offensive linemen. And he yeah. needs to, if he can pair that with maybe a more consistent level of play for himself, I think that impact could be there too. I think that's definitely worth a pod because I, I, I would probably throw a Mecca Buka and Trey Brown Henderson in that conversation as well. Yeah. But my obligation to my team is my obligation to myself is the most caged over quote I have ever heard in my life. And I yeah. can just imagine his face looking at you like, are you stupid? Of course I'm playing. <laughs> no, I, I, I think he knew why I was asking. Sometimes yeah. you ask questions that you know what the answer will be of to, course. to see what answer they will give. Let them articulate it so you can support yeah. them saying it. And that he, he I laid it on a tee and he took a nice hard swing at it. So the last member of the, the house that that homed Cage Stover, Tommy Eichenberg, and Steel Chambers, and might have said he's not rooming with his two linebacker buddies. He's probably doing his own thing. Is that true? I don't think he's rooming with him, but he did. He was. He has been in Dallas working out, and Eichenberg also was down there. So they've been working out together. A lot of a lot of prospects go down to Dallas. I can't remember the name of the um, of the facility of the mm-hmm. of the of the place down there, but a lot of prospects go down there for pre-draft stuff. And a lot of Ohio State guys have gone there in recent years. So those guys are going to be inseparable. Steel Chambers, I think somebody asked him, I don't think he volunteered it, but I think somebody asked him and he just kind of took the bait, led him there. They're like, oh, are you telling teams that this needs to be a package deal? Like you and Tommy and, and, and Cade all need to play together. Obviously pretty unrealistic, but, um, you know, one of the also hallmarks of the, the draft is the, and we make fun of it because these guys, you get all these guys that come up and say like, have you met with the Buccaneers? Yep. And you'll get like, <laughs> they come up from like several teams. There's always a Buccaneers guy, a Steelers guy. There used to always be a Jets guy. I think that guy must have, uh, I don't know, he, he, he couldn't afford the airfare to Indianapolis anymore or whatever. But uh, this year it's been a lot of Steelers and Bucks. But somebody asked, uh, Kate Stover, if he'd met with the Texans, and he said that he had. And I thought that was an interesting storyline in so much as he had a real connection with C.J. Stroud. And if they were able to replicate that at the next level, it would get really interesting. And it's not just a football connection that he had with C.J. Stroud. Like They talked about how you couldn't pick two guys who come from much more uh, different backgrounds, you know. Stroud being this, you know, suburban Los Angeles, went through some tough times as a kid and uh, having to, to work his way up from there. Just a different just a different culture than what Cade Stover grew up in, in a more mm-hmm. rural, middle of Ohio, very family-oriented sort of upbringing, working on the farm. And those two guys made a real friendship. They had a real uh, kinship and connection. And again, 32 teams and a lot a, it could go any direction. He, you know, he could get drafted by a team that has no Ohio state players on it and mm-hmm. we'll see. But I thought that was an interesting thing because he, he was asked about that, about playing with Stroud and what that would mean. And you could tell that it, it was something that intrigues him because the, the connection with Stroud is what really launched him into the concept of maybe being a second day kind of NFL draft pick because it was the revelation of him being the receiver he was last season is what has pushed him there. So before we get into, obviously you probably got to ask a million questions about what he thinks about what the room is going to look like in 2024. Uh, 
how did he sell himself? Maybe that's the best way to just ask that question. How has he been selling himself as a guy who did show up at Ohio State as a linebacker, dreamed of playing linebacker? James Laurinaitis was almost his idol as a kid. And obviously, because of where football has gone, that style of linebacker no longer exists. So he went to defensive end and eventually settled in at tight end. How was he maybe selling himself to teams of why this has worked out so well for him, especially over the last two years where he's turned the tight end position into a weapon for Ohio State in the passing game? Well, he can offer something that other tight ends can't, and that is that defensive background. And whatever utility you think that carries, from a mindset standpoint, I think it probably does. And it was funny because he really bristled today. Uh, He was asked about the critique of his blocking which mm-hmm. has come up on Buckeye Talk, Maybe has, come up in, has come up in other venues, and I think is a fair thing to bring up about him. It's not like we haven't talked very positively about many other aspects of his game, mm-hmm. but I do think that was one thing. And it's the thing that he should be the most, need the most work on, because he wasn't a tight end until right. 2021, like at all. He didn't even finish that year as a tight end. It's really just been like two full years as a tight end for him. and. <clears throat> that it should be the thing that he is still having to make the most adjustments to. And it was funny that he he sort of bristled at it and pushed back on it. And uh, it was, you know, whatever these PFF grades are, or PPF, he couldn't even, he didn't even remember the name of it and or pretended he didn't know the name of it. Maybe he didn't want to give them the satisfaction. Um, but his But he did say, there are times when I still try to block like I'm playing defense. And my head gets out in front of my shoulders and I take these big swings and miss as opposed to putting a more textbook block on somebody. And I think that's something that has to be coming up in these meetings that he's taking with teams because now in the NFL, there may be a more specialized way to use him that that decreases the amount where that needs to you know, I don't know. But I, I think it is something that he is going to have to keep working on and adjusting to to play a lot in the NFL, to be a, like an every down NFL tight end. Uh, right now, I think he is an intriguing guy in the slot um, as, and and his his receiving talents seem to be pretty obvious. And once he has a ball in his hands, I think he does really interesting things. Mm-hmm. I just think he does need to close the gap a little bit between where he's been and where he needs to be at the next level as a blocker. But frankly, that's one of the things that you, I mean, once you are, once you step off the field for the last time in college and you're not going to class this semester, you get to make football your job for the first time in your life in a, in a real, real way. I mean, it kind of already is when you're in college, but now it is, it can be 24 hours a day. He's down in Dallas. He's not on the family farm. He says he he's FaceTiming him every night and catching up on what's going on up there with the, the, the equipment and everything. But he's he is a, f- a football player 100% right now. And this can be one of the things that he uh, hopefully, you know, focuses on and and makes a because I think there's there's too much other positive things in his game that an NFL team probably can use that uh, you don't want this to be a thing that holds him back. So he it was funny that he he he's, he even said something like that. Um, um, this is like the, apparently this is the storyline or this is, this keeps coming up. I can't remember exactly how he said it. So he's aware of these criticisms that are out there, these critiques of his blocking and he doesn't like it. But then he also then at the same time was like, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it does happen. Just make sure you don't forget all the blocks that do go right. Um, uh, 
which is fair, I guess. But um, I, I just think it's not it's it's not telling tales out of school to say it's not the strong point of his game. I think he's just gone full NFL player mode. Now he hates PFF because that's what you do when you're in the NFL. You just hate PFF. I think to your point though, there's a, I bet there's a bunch of players who don't hate PFF because they have good, they have good grades. Of course, <laughs> in all those aspects, you only hate something yeah. when people say you when they identify something you're not good at. You love it when it's the listen Ohio State football page when they whenever PFF says Donovan Jackson didn't give up any sacks. Guess what they do? They retweet it and they make their own graphic about it. But if Donovan Jackson give up yep. seven sacks in a game and PFF counts it out, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't even have all the film. Yep. That's how this goes. We all get it. I think it is going to be interesting to see Kate Stover's development here because in college, especially the way they use their tight ends at Ohio State, you have to be a complete tight end because they're going to ask you to be the receiving tight end and the blocking tight end. I don't know if we joke and call him Farmer Gronk, but I'm not, I don't know if Rob Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey level tight end player, Sam Laporta play is in his future or not. I'm not saying it's not, and I'm not saying it is, but to your point, Nathan, could it be as a rookie, it is more of a specialized role where he is more of a receiving tight end as he continues to develop the blocking part of this. And maybe we check back in on this in maybe two or three years, and then he's a more complete tight end just because he's only been doing this for about two or three years now. So there is a bit of this in the selling point that he is still raw in terms of his tight end development. You know, I've been trying to figure out in my mind, and it's hard because they're not like right next to each other. But like, how much better of a tight end prospect all around is he than Jeremy Ruckert was? Mm -hmm. I've been really trying to reconcile that in my head. I think Ruckert came out in a stronger draft class and ended up being more of like a mid-round pick. Was he like fourth round, fifth round, somewhere in there, I think? Yeah. Um, And I, but I've been trying, because I can't, in my mind, I don't look at them and think, again, all around tight end package. I don't look at them and say, well, Kate Silver does like all these things that Jeremy Ruckert couldn't do. I feel like if Ruckert had come along, I, it would have been curious to see Ruckert in the CJ Stroud offense in 2022. Mm. And you know what I mean? In, 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 yeah. like if he's the one starting instead of Stover, does he have similar receiving numbers? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I've, I've just been trying to reconcile that. Where, where Stover is starting to seem like, you know, there's a lot of places that have him ranked as like the th- number three tight end in this in this draft class mm-hmm. and starting to seem like a more and more safe day two guy. So second, third round. And I think we we're all a little bit surprised that record slipped as far as he did. Um, and I'm just trying to reconcile that. And I'm, I'm curious to see these. I, I can't remember. Record didn't get to do the testing. That was also part of the problem. He was hurt. In that year, he had he had gotten hurt. Uh, he did something during the pre-draft process, as I remember it. I he, think he, he hurt foot injury. The, I think he did something at the Senior Bowl early in that yeah. week. Yes, shut yes, it down. yes. So I think that was a factor for him. And Stover has an opportunity this week to put the explosiveness that he can offer. And he is a different kind of athlete. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to. I'm not saying they're an apples and apples case here. But he's a different kind of athlete with a little bit more explosiveness probably in some ways that maybe it can show up in some of the testing that's going to take place here over the next couple of days. I think I think that's an interesting conversation. I think a couple of things were at play in terms of Ohio State's personnel that maybe allowed Cade Stover to be showcased 
more than Jeremy Ruckert was going to be showcased in what should have been his showcasing year in 2021. Because you have to remember, that's a team that has three first-round draft picks at yep. wide receiver. And so they're getting the ball first. Plus, on top of that, C.J. Stroud's a first-year starting quarterback, so he's checking the ball to Travion Henderson, who statistically that was Travion's best year. If Cade Stover of 2023 is in 2021 playing with those weapons, does he have the same stat line, 36 catches for 406 that he had in 2022, and then this past year, 41 catches for 576? While this year, you had Marvin, and you had a Mecca, but a Mecca got hurt, and Julian Fleming is probably a step below where those first-round talents are, yeah. and so it allowed opportunities, especially in 2022 early, when Julian Fleming, I think, missed the first two weeks of the season. It's like, and plus Jackson Smith, the Jigba is out of the way. It's Marvin and the Mecca, and then it's Kate Stover as your next weapon. So I do think, I don't know who's the better prospect. Kate Stover might just be a better raw athlete, and that might have been the case yeah. coming out of high school as no, well. I think that's true. Yeah, but I do think opportunity sometimes. Cade Stover had opportunities, but also Jeremy Ruckert, he dropped some balls in 2021, so he, he didn't necessarily yeah. help himself. So all those things yeah. colluded, and as a result, Cade Stover gets the type of production that maybe when Jeremy Ruckert got here and you saw where the offense was headed, you thought Jeremy Ruckert could eventually get to. And I also thought that they got away for whatever reason from using Henderson as much in the receiving game. Yeah. And then that made Stover became kind of the escape valve for yep. both for both Stroud and Kyle McCord. Yep. So and not and I'm not saying that to diminish what he was doing in the offense. I think it was still an important role. It mm -hmm. was just that that became the check down in a lot of time a lot of times, as mm -hmm. opposed to um where it was with Fields and maybe even that first year of Stroud where they they were using the, the backfield more. Travion Henderson had 27 catches his freshman year. He had 23 combined the last two seasons, yeah. to your point, Nathan. Yeah. Before we move on to Josh Proctor here, obviously the room for the tight end room is transitioning past the Stover era. You bring in Will Kazmarek, which I don't – he may know Cade. He might not because they're both Ohio guys. But he does know Jelani Thurman. He does know G. Scott. He does know the rest of that room. He does know Keenan Bailey. What did he have to say about where this room is headed in 2024? You know, he actually didn't get a lot of questions about that. He got one early. Uh, mm -hmm. I asked him something early about Thurman because he had, he was the one who at the Cotton Bowl had said, um, I think they got something cooking for Jelani Thurman this week. And he's out mm -hmm. there for the first two snaps. And we're like, oh, man, Kate Stover get, put us in on the scoop. And then he didn't touch the field again the rest of the night. <laughs> so we're like, oh, all right. It was a, that, was, that was fast food if that was cooking. And um, I tried to ask follow up on that just to – and he gave me more of a generic answer because, frankly, he just hasn't been around the team. He's been mm -hmm. down in Dallas. He's been working out. I don't know how much he would know about Will Kaczmarek. He he did say, um, kind of reiterate his faith in Keenan Bailey and what he can get out of that room. And Keenan was someone who, even going back to his time as the special assistant, had put in some time helping Stover make this transition to tight end. and. Stover has always been um, complimentary of him and what he, how of Bailey and how he helped get him to this point. And I think that has given him confidence that he'll be able to do that with this next tier of guys that are coming in behind. It's, I, I am curious if we get to a place where this tight end group has a true number one, the way Stover was, the way Ruckert was, uh, or if this is more of a tight end by committee situation and it's a little bit more of a utility job than it is a featured 
receiving role in the offense. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. I mean, it's there's a lot of X factors that are at play here. It's what is Chip Kelly calling? What are they installing? How does it? How does Will Howard see the field, and what does he look at, and and how does he feel his way through different situations? Is because he he used a lot of um, uh, he he passed to running backs a lot at Kansas State, and this yeah. might be a year where uh, both Henderson and Judkins could be in for a decent chunk of receptions. Although, again, as we talked about, it, it's really hard right now to say, uh, okay, it's Ryan Day's offense. And Chip Kelly's calling it, and and Will Howard, we presume, will be running it. So which of those things and all of their previous attributes and tendencies wins out, mm-hmm. we won't know. But it's one of the things that's on the table. So moving on to Josh Proctor very quickly here. I think this one, I'm, I'm sure he probably got asked a lot more about the safety room and obviously his process of being a guy who maybe when he got to Ohio State as a top 100 recruit in 2018, you thought maybe he had three and done potential and instead it's six and done potential because a lot of things happened throughout his career. Just talk to, about what he had to say about his journey to finally get into the NFL combine first and foremost. You know, it's there's never going to be another player like this at Ohio State in some ways, partially because the COVID guys are I've cycled through now. Yep. So you're not going to get a lot of 60-year safeties. And usually you're not sticking around for a sixth year as a guy with his potential because if if it hasn't happened by year five, like why are you coming back for year mm-hmm. six? But he did, and man, did it work out. Like we were all the, – the, the progress that he made from the end of the 2022 season when he was kind of an afterthought to the end of the 2023 season when he was a reason why that defense was one of the best defenses in the country mm-hmm. is one of the better stories since I've been covering this team in some ways that a guy just put in that kind of perseverance and made that kind of commitment and had it pay off that way. Um, he's going to be an interesting prospect this week. I At one point, I thought he was a guy who maybe had like – upper mid round potential to I don't yeah. know if I, what upper mid round means um, going before the sixth or seventh round. Now I'm starting to think uh, as you look at it a little bit closer, um, he's just, he's a bit old. I think he's like 25 ish now. Um, that's, that's old to come out. And, and the NFL is different than the NBA, for instance, where, um, in the NBA, I think they can take a longer career arc for what somebody builds to. In the mm-hmm. NFL, it's I mean, NFL careers are short sometimes, and if if you can get three or four years out of a guy, so maybe taking him when he's twenty five is is fine. It just it, it it indicates that there maybe isn't a lot more development left in that person as opposed to someone who was twenty one, twenty two. Mm-hmm. If if they're roughly the same attributes right now, so that might make it tough for him to climb very high. But it's still a great story, and I, I wonder it, one of those things. I mean, everybody makes individual decisions, but we have seen guys who stick around for five or six years and have it pay off in a real way. You know, Davon Hamilton stays here for five years and becomes mm-hmm. a, a mid-round pick and is sticking in the NFL as a real player. Um, I mean, obviously the, the Thayer Munford story, although he was playing a lot early on. So it wasn't like he, there was ever really a, a chance that he was getting pushed out. But you I mean, Proctor is like one of the, the great examples of this now of guys who um, could have fled uh, at any time. Um, and I still wonder, you know, we don't know what his career would have done 
if he just hadn't broken his leg at the second game of the year in 2021. Yeah. Like he, he started that year. Well, it seemed like he would finally arrived and that defense had other issues, but he would have helped uh, negate some of them. And if he could have played that year, and maybe then, maybe then he's still coming back for 2022. But the trajectory that you put that on, um, it would have at least given them some more options uh, for 2022. And I don't know, maybe Lathan Ransom still wins out over him mm-hmm. over the course of that season. I don't know because Lathan Ransom's a really good football player too. But they found a way to put them both on the field. I don't think he would have beat out Hickman in in 2022. But they found a way to put them both on the field this past year, and Ohio State was better for it. I think the 21 and 22 seasons both had moments very early in that year that changed the, tra- the, the trajectory of Josh Proctor's career, obviously get, breaking his leg against Oregon. And then the way that first play of the game against Notre Dame the following year played out with him missing that tackle. And then he gets benched from there. It's like there's almost before those two moments where you had all the hope in the world for him. 2020 was weird when they were moving him around at some different spots before finally giving him that single high safety job where he did flash at times and made some plays, but it felt like those two moments very early in the season, both years, we're talking about a different Josh Proctor. If either one of those moments goes differently. A guy that maybe his career lines up even more with, and I hesitate to say this, especially because there's been some more news about it recently, but I'm talking about just in football only is Damon Arnett Jr. Because Damon and Damon played more early. He was, he was like in the mix in 17, 18 before he was a full-time starter in 19. I guess he was even starting before that, but he got, so he got the more regular role early, but Arnett, I remember talking to him at the combine in 2019 about how he had, he had the talent and he just kind of floundered for too long. And now we're seeing since he left Ohio state, some of the things that he may have been dealing with um, behind mm-hmm. the scenes and then where some of that discipline was lacking, but he figured it out for that year. Like he put it together for 2019 and it made him a first round draft pick. And Josh Proctor's not going to go in the first round, but I similarly think just the way just Pro- Josh Proctor has talked the way that the coaches have talked, that it was a guy who something clicked in for him from a mental standpoint this past year. And so hopefully now he can take that on. He can, you know, he would be uh, he's a guy who's had to play like a lot of guys at Ohio State do. He came in and had to play special teams, would not be afraid to go to the NFL and do that and, and maybe find a way to stick on rosters there. So lastly, let's look, what does he think of where the room is headed? And this is without Caleb, Caleb Downs piece of this, because he, he didn't play with Caleb Downs, but the rest of that room are there guys he's thinking can maybe at least push for an opportunity to get a role, even if we feel like that starting, maybe the top four, depending on where Sonny Styles is, maybe set. He brought up Malik Hartford today, as, as you might expect, when he was mm-hmm. asked about like what young guys he's looking forward to in the future. He brought up Malik Hartford, and he brought up uh, Jermaine Matthews, his cornerback, obviously, but guys that he is eager to watch them as their, their careers play out. He obviously got the Sonny Styles question and said flat out, yeah, I think he's moving to linebacker. He's like, mm-hmm. he's putting on weight. He's, he's, and, and more to the point, like he, he, it doesn't sound like, I think the most important question there is because we've seen other guys do this. Like we saw, okay, 2022, they had Jack Sawyer change up a little bit and move mm-hmm. up and play that Jack position. But why didn't that work? Because he was never really like sold on it. I don't think he was ever that comfortable with it. And we've seen other, similar things where they've asked guys to do stuff. And if they're not bought in, it's not going to work. I think the important thing here is whether Styles is bought into this. We can talk about it hypothetically in terms of 
his size and how his skill translates, but especially at linebacker, because if there's anything that all these other conversations we've been having about linebacker this week, just think of the names that we've been dropping here. It's like Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, James Laurinaitis. There is a personality type at linebacker. And Sonny doesn't necessarily exude that same personality. But I think that that doesn't necessarily mean that that X factor wouldn't be there for him. So that's the the most important thing that that I took from Proctor talking about Styles and where he's going to go is that he he feels he's comfortable at linebacker and that he believes that Styles knows the defense well enough that he could basically play anywhere, that he knows everybody's job. He's one of those guys that um, is is enough of a student that he can make that kind of tactical um, drip, tactical shift up to, a, to another position. Now it's just a matter of, I think that at linebacker, um, it's a different – it's a different mindset. It's a more attacking mindset. You know, look at what Tommy Eikenberg did in 2022, especially the way you're just firing him downhill out of a cannon over and over and over again. And that's something that Styles has not experienced. Even when you're playing in the box as the nickel and coming up to you know, make run fits and stop the run, it's it's not. You're, there's much more coverage responsibility. You're away from the ball so much more. Um, this would be an adjustment, and I think that's. Uh, you look for that sort of hard-nosed attitude, and I think I've decided that as much as we can, it'll be nice to try to see that uh, when we get spring windows starting next week, starting uh, Tuesday and Thursday of next week. We've been told we've been told we're supposed to get to watch practice Tuesday and Thursday of next mm-hmm. week, so um, we will report ASAP. Get the text. We'll be reporting as soon as we see it, basically, on the field those days to give you like what we're seeing as it relates to not just where Sonny Styles is standing before the ball is snapped, but also like what it looks like when mm-hmm. he is standing where the after the ball is snapped. Yeah, Sonny Styles being a linebacker might be the worst kept secret in Ohio State football right now, but obviously next Tuesday we'll, we'll be able to validate whether it is actually the worst-kept secret in college yeah. football right now. So get the text, 614-350-3315. I don't know if it's a secret, but I'm actually writing something for the morning, for, for Friday morning, and we've obviously written ad nauseum about Sonny Styles, and it's people might be sick of it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a spring storyline as well. Um, because it's one of the few things that isn't known about this defense. But but But... Eichenberg and Proctor and I, Chambers too, I think, were all asked to some extent like where they see this going. And I thought when Eichenberg said on uh, yesterday, um, on Wednesday, that he thinks Styles could have played linebacker last year. Like those are the kind of things when you have guys like Tommy Eichenberg who revere the concept of linebacker, and you can ask them, "What do you think about this guy trying to move from safety to linebacker?" And he's like. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I think that's where you should, as an Ohio State fan, you can take some solace in that. That these guys who um, who know what they're talking about. For us, of it's it's it's, it's theor- theoretical, hypothetical. Hey, it could. Here's why it could make sense because he's got this sort of frame, mm-hmm. and uh, more to the point, like if they don't do this, where else are they going to play him? And <laughs> for those guys who actually depend on whether that guy's doing their job or not. They seem like this is not a big deal. Like they that it's a very uh, common sense almost transition, and that if they needed him to do it last year, he probably could have figured it out. 
Yeah, so heading into Tuesday, that will obviously be on the list of things that we'll be watching out for as Ohio State starts spring practice on Tuesday, March 5th. Get the text 614-350-3315. That's the combine portion of this. I'm going to kick Nathan off so he can go live his life for the rest of this Thursday afternoon as we're recording this. And Andrew will join us and we'll do a more focused thing on spring practice as we prepare for next Tuesday. Nathan will be out there for a couple more days. Quarterbacks and wide receivers and running backs are going as you're listening to this pod on Friday, which means Marvin Harrison Jr. gets to speak, and so does Mayan Williams, where I think Mayan will be interesting because obviously he had his season ended an injury, and it'll be interesting to hear him talk about that, along with Marvin Harrison Jr. answering every possible question you can think of about him going through this process in a place where his father once turned himself into a Hall of Fame wide receiver. So get the text, 614-350-3315. Nathan will be bringing you all that information two weeks for trial, 399 after that. We'll be right back here on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back here on Buckeye Talks. Thanks to Nathan once again for bringing us the news and information from this second day in Indianapolis, talking with Cade Stover and talking with Josh Proctor as they prepare for the NFL draft, going through the NFL draft combine process get the text 614-350-3315 all that information you're hearing it you're hearing it a day later than you would have gotten this information if you signed up for the text man you would have gotten it as it was happening live two-week free trial 399 after that 614-350-3315 nathan's gone andrew has joined me once again and we're going to do a bigger pod topic not recruiting today we're looking forward looking ahead to march 5th when ohio state starts its spring practice schedule that 15 practice slate for the 2024 season and we're just going to rank the most important position battles for ohio state in 2024 heading into this spring and it's interesting because outside of one spot you almost have to be specific about what you're talking about andrew when you say position battles and it's because they brought so much back you're looking at maybe three or four other spots where even if it's guys who are returning, there are battles, but it's at this one specific spot within the position and not necessarily the full position group. Yeah. I mean, so when I, when I made this top five, uh, I only had one uh, defensive position on this list, right? Like we, we had this list and I only had one, one spot because uh, look, I think, um, you could be happy with the safeties. You could be happy with where they're at. And, and, and I mean the room as a whole. I don't think anybody's going to say that Caleb Downs isn't going to start. Like, is anybody curious if Caleb Downs is going to start? Is anybody curious if Lathan Ransom is going to start? So, you know, there, there were just things that you're just you're going into spring practice and you're sitting there saying, eh, who cares? I don't I, I'm curious to see what it looks like. And it's a whole other type of interest, but it's not an interest as to who's going to see the field, right? Like it's a completely different argument. So obviously we're going to start at the top where I think both Andrew and I had at the top of our list and that's quarterback. That's obviously. I had punter number one. Did you? Ah. <laughs> that's what people want to talk about on this pod. That's fair, man. They are going to be breaking <laughs> in a new punter this year who I'm pretty sure is a walk on as well, but 
the quarterback conversation obviously yeah. was something that will continue to evolve here, and we know who the names are. It's Will Howard, it's Devin Brown, and it's Lincoln Keenholz, and then maybe it's a gap after that, and then you br- bring in Aaron Nolan and Julian saying the two five-star freshmen who, unless they're a laser show, we're probably putting a pin in their conversation until a year from now when whoever leaves between Will Howard, Devin Brown, especially if one of those two guys wins this battle. If Devin Brown wins this job and it ends up having the type of year that we saw maybe Dwayne Haskins have or Mac Jones have, maybe he's a three-and-done player. But Will Howard, for sure, for sure, is done after this year regardless of what happens. And so then this goes starts all over again where Ohio State will potentially be in a – quarterback battle for a third straight offseason in 2025 but as we focus right now on 2024 and we know the names will howard devin brown and lincoln keenholst how much of a battle are you expecting this to be andrew going into the spring uh i think it's going to be one of those battles where somebody's got to take the first rep mm-hmm. right somebody's got to do it and i think you're going to be you're you're going to see who Ohio State really likes at the beginning of camp, I think, by how they divvy up the reps. And I, I think it's going to go Will Howard. I think it has to be Will Howard. I mean, he's the guy you brought in. He's got the most experience um, because you can be excited about Devin Brown and you can be excited about Lincoln Keenholz and you can be sitting there scratching your head going, you know what? They just sent two five-star quarterbacks. Like maybe we should let them spin it a little bit. But Will Howard's been in college football since 2020. and Will Howard, were COVID not a thing, would not be at Ohio State right now. He would be in the NFL. He would have had to have left. So, uh, you know, he he shows up in 2020 at Kansas State. Um, he has four years there. Then he goes to Ohio State. Now he's uh, going to finish out his career here. He's out of eligibility, like you were saying, Stephen. So I think you start with him. I'm interested to see kind of who wins that backup job. I think the starting job is interesting, obviously, but I think you could honestly, like we could have a whole podcast where we say the five most important position battles are QB1, QB2, QB3, QB4, and QB5. And we just go down the list and say, all right, who's who's starting? Who's backing up? Who's backing up the backup? Who's backing up the backup's backup? Like we could just go down the line. So yeah, for me, it's, it's Howard takes the first rep. You got to work him in as quickly as possible. I understand he's a veteran. I understand all that, but this is a guy where you got to get to know a lot of these players on the field. You know what they're like in the weight room. You know what they're like in conditioning, but it's a completely different ball game on the field. You got to know how Ryan Day runs practices. You got to learn where to line up in stretching, and you've got to start to feel at home in environments like that. And those may sound like stupid things. Those may sound like little things, but in totality, I think they add up and kind of making you comfortable. So QB1 is really interesting, but I think you could go down the line and say, you know, all right, whoever the backup is, that 2-3 battle is just as interesting. And that 3-4 battle is just as interesting. And then who's the freshman and wins that 4-5 battle? Like, there are just so many kind of dynamics to this. The whole quarterback position is is a fascinating one to monitor because I, I, would, I would feel comfortable saying that by the time Ohio State kicks off on August 31st, five quarterbacks are not in the room. Will Howard was the number 882 player and the number 33 pro-style quarterback in the 2020 recruiting class. That's actually the last year that the composite separated pro-style and dual-threat quarterbacks after that they just started doing just quarterbacks in general. He is potentially going to be the third quarterback 
from that recruiting class to take a snap for Ohio State at quarterback. CJ Stroud obviously was the number 42 player and number two pro style quarterback. Three, number three overall in that class behind DJ Uyangaleye and Bryce Young. And then Jack Miller was the number 363 player and number 13 pro style quarterback in that class. So Ohio State potentially a third quarterback from the 2020 class who will have taken a snap for the Buckeyes during their college careers. I do think it's a, it's a fascinating thing, though, Andrew, and you probably are right. We could just split this up if we really wanted to. But I think what makes it interesting is we're not sure how many of these open windows we're going to get to watch practice. I, I, I do think that we're going to at least get two. That's at least what we've been told. At least two. Maybe it gets up to three or four. We had a lot last spring when we were going through this. So maybe Ryan Day is that gracious and gives us more opportunities this spring as well. But it's almost going to be interesting to map that out, right? Who's number one in practice one? Who's number one in practice four? Who's number one in practice seven? But also who's number two? Who's number three? Does that order continue to switch around? And it may be a small part of the puzzle, but it's interesting, right? Because it's almost a way from the outside looking in to like track what a guy's progression is going into this situation. So if we're thinking Will Howard, Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholz, and then whatever order, Air Nolan and Julian Sand are four and five. Maybe Air Nolan's number four because he was a recruit here and Julian Sand's a transfer. So maybe that he's four and Julian's five. But if we're in there for practice six, is Devin now with the ones and Will's with the twos? Is Devin with the threes and Lincoln's with the twos? Is Lincoln with going fifth in the in the order while Air Nolan is third or Julian Sand is third? All of that is fascinating. So it is the one spot on this roster where, as I mentioned to begin with, we're going to have to get specific with some of these position battles. This one, you can take a overall approach yeah. while having an, a macro approach with a micro explanation for why it's so intriguing. Yeah, and, and just to add in real quick, I think the age of these players kind of is is fascinating as well because all of these guys want to play. Right. Mm -hmm. Will Howard, to quote a famous Ohio State Buckeye, ain't come here to play school. He wants to play football. He wants to get on the field and see the NFL and he wants to get his shot at the NFL. And Devin Brown has already been waiting. Right. Like Devin Brown waited two years and he thought he could have a shot at winning that job last year. And Kyle McCord, um, you know, won that job. And then Devin Brown gets hurt a quarter into the Cotton Bowl. And Lincoln Keenholz is now kind of in a position where he can make a move after, you know, not having a full year and kind of now getting that full acclimation process. And then you got two five-star freshmen. So I, I, I think who is there, like who is in a certain position on the depth chart is obviously very interesting, but I think it's also just as interesting of their age because if Lincoln Keenholz is behind Julian Sand and Devin Brown, for example, you have to start to wonder kind of where, where that could head. And then, you know, I don't like to speculate about transfers because it, Hey, may, you know what? Maybe he just is okay with waiting and maybe he's okay with kind of hanging it out and, and staying here five years and see what happens because you never know. Um, same with Devin Brown with Aaron Oland or Julian Sand or whatever, but these are talented quarterbacks that should have an opportunity to play elsewhere, no matter what happens. So you do wonder like, all right, if, if Devin Brown is now third on the depth chart going into the, or end of spring practice or after the spring game or something like that, you start to wonder, okay, he's got a younger guy ahead of him. Where does that leave Devin Brown? So th it's the talent factor, but then it's also the age factor too. So that's what's number one on our list. I think that was pretty obvious. I think the list layup number two through maybe six here as we have this conversation <laughs> are going to be interesting. Andrew, I'll let you, what's the top non-quarterback thing that's on your list of position battles you're interested in going into the spring? 
Yeah, so this was actually the only other one where I didn't have like a number, like, you know, a tight end two or whatever. Like this was the only one where I didn't have that, the only other one. And it's the offensive tackle position because I just think that there are so many different players that can play tackle. And I'm curious to see what happens because Josh Fryer and Josh Simmons were the two tackles last year, as we are all well aware of. But then can Luke Montgomery play tackle? Can Tegra Shabola play tackle? How do you feel about, you know, moving one of those guys around? Does one of the, you know, the freshmen that were or now sophomores make a move into into a, you know, position for playing time? I just there are guys that you look at and go, you know, there's options here. And I wonder what's going to happen left, right, first, second. I I, I don't know. So for me, who's going to play at these tackle positions is really interesting because, you know, we've made the case all along. We think Josh Simmons is going to be the first string left tackle. I think we've all kind of in pencil predicted that in some way, shape or form. And we've all kind of, again, in some way, shape or form think or thought or said or whatever that Luke Montgomery is going to make a move at right tackle. And if he does that, that's fine. But where does that leave Tegra Shibola? Does Tegra is Tegra Shibola a tackle? Like, can he play left tackle? Can he play a better left tackle than Josh Simmons? Can Luke Montgomery play a better left tackle than Josh Simmons? Can Tegra Shibola play a better right tackle than Josh Fryer? Is the Ohio State's offensive line configuration from last year the best that they have? I just there are so many questions about this offensive tackle unit. I think that that is far more interesting. Uh, you you could say the entire offensive line, but Donovan Jackson's going to start at left guard. Uh, Seth McLaughlin, you feel pretty good about him starting at center. And then it's basically just a right guard conversation is that, you know, does Hinsman slide over? Can he play guard? You know, can Shibola play there? Does Josh Fryer kick inside? But all of those things that you'd be talking about on the interior are based off of who's going to play tackle and more accurately, who is not going to play tackle. So for me, it's the offensive tackle position, left, right, first, second. It doesn't matter. That's fascinating to me in spring practice and outside of quarterback, uh, which, I mean, that's obviously a very interesting position in and of itself. Tackles right there. So the right side of the offensive line is where I specified it. I don't think the left side is up for grabs, and I am happy to be proven wrong by that if we're in there next Tuesday to watch. But I think, I mean, Donovan Jackson is going to be a starting left guard, and Seth McLaughlin, you just brought him in as a transfer, who's a two-year starter at Alabama. He's going to be your center. And Josh Simmons, I don't think – I thought he progressed throughout the year in a way where I feel like that's his job and someone would have to literally take it from him for it to not be his job anymore. So it's more about what do they want to do on the right side with obviously Matthew Jones gone off to the NFL after graduating. Brian Day's already mentioned that Josh Fryer could play some guard. He could, he'll play both during the spring. Luke Montgomery can play right guard and he can play right tackle. Tegra Shabola has experience. At repping at guard in his career, but also he was in a battle for tackle at one point. I think it's a three-person battle for two spots, and really it feels more like it's a two-man battle for one spot because Ryan Day wouldn't have just thrown out there that Josh Pry was playing guard unless it's something that is in the process of happening. So I think Josh Pry probably is your right guard in 2024, and so now this becomes a conversation of, Luke Montgomery, Tegra Shibola, which one of you guys is ready to go? And maybe Zen Maholsky can throw his name into that. I know he was his name was in the conversation a year ago at left tackle, and obviously that didn't work out. Maybe he's clearly third in that hierarchy right now. But I think that right side of the offensive line 
what is it going to look like every time you look at it? Are there going to be times when Josh Fryer is back on the outside and maybe Tegra or Luca's inside? Is Josh Fryer only going to be repping at guard when we're watching? And then you're seeing maybe a rotation at that right tackle spot because they're trying to figure out what they have in Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola. But I think those three guys for those two spots is where the most intrigue is for the offensive line. And more importantly than figuring out who's going to be the starter, I think Ohio State needs to come out of the spring feeling like every they have the answers in their room. Because that's what happened last year. They came out of the spring and didn't feel like they had the answers in their room. And they ended up having to go get Joshua Simmons because they, they maybe struck out on some other options in the transfer portal. If they get to the end of April and we're in that same position where it feels like things don't look great, but also we don't feel like the answers to improve things are in our room, that's where the issue is going to be. But I think if Luke Montgomery, Tegra Shabola, and Josh Fryer, whatever combination on that right side can have them feeling good about things, then we can continue this conversation on to the fall camp where it's still those three guys battling for those two spots. Yeah, you know, I've made this point before about the transfer portal. The transfer portal is one of those things that you can look at as very much free agency. If you want, you can look at it at the, as, the, as a draft, if you will. But positional value is a thing, right? Very rarely do players become available in certain positions. Like quarterback is one thing because there's only one quarterback at all these other schools. And that's just the way it works, right? You know, there's only one, there's only one ball and only one dude can play quarterback. And if you ain't it, you want to move on. I, I, I get that. that. That does make sense. But there's not program changing left tackles available. You know, maybe you can go find someone who can become one, but you have to turn him into that, right? You know, Olu Fashanu's not out in the portal and Joe Alt's not out in the portal. And there are guys that are development projects that you, do you feel great about playing in, in year one in 2024 for a team that is kind of all in on winning a national championship this year? Like, I just, you have to have the answers in-house because if you don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to go get an answer outside of the program after the fall transfer portal or the winter transfer portal or whatever window, after that first window closes, now you're in the second one. I mean, who are you talking about? You're talking about dudes who maybe lost a job at another school and now can move on or, you know, dudes who didn't get a, a look from a bigger program on the first time around. Now you get a second look. Like I, I just, I think that the opportunity for Ohio state to improve on their offensive line has to come in house and especially a tackle. I just, it, it's hard to see a scenario in which they go get a Seth McLaughlin of left tackle or a, a, uh, Caleb Downs, especially of right tackle, you know, like those dudes just do not hang out there in the portal. So I'm going to go next here with my next spot. I think it's really the only intriguing spot in terms of what the starting lineup is going to look like. And obviously even this might be even fluid depending on what the opponent is, but the will linebacker spot. And part of this is a, if Sonny Styles a linebacker or not, uh, I know Josh Proctor came out and said why he was at the combine this week that he thinks that jo that, Sonny Styles is headed towards being the linebacker because he's very, very large. I mean, he's 6'4", 230 pounds. James Oronitis has made his case for why he thinks he could be a good linebacker. Matt Guerrero is going to do everything in his power to try to keep him in the safety room, of course, because everybody wants a talent like Sonny Styles in their position room. 
But if he's in the linebacker room, Cody Simon's clearly your starting Mike linebacker, and that now creates a situation where it's Sonny Styles, C.J. Hicks, and Gabe Powers maybe, and maybe Orville Reese as well battling to be that will linebacker spot and maybe this is an ongoing battle as well maybe this is a situational battle right because maybe this is a situation where in some situations Sonny Styles is back at playing the role he played this past year and playing that nickel role and you've got CJ Hicks and Cody Simon as your linebackers and maybe on third down situations you bring Jordan Hancock into the game as your nickel and Sonny Styles slides over the will linebacker but also I don't know if that maximizes Jordan Hancock right because he's clearly probably one of your top 10 players on this team. I mean, we did a ranking last week about who we thought were the top 10 do-your-job guys, and I think we all agreed that maybe Jordan Hancock should be higher than Sonny Styles on a list like that. But I just think, not even from a sake of a battle standpoint, I'm just interested to see Sonny Styles doing linebacker things and seeing if it clicks. I'm interested in seeing Sonny Styles get extended reps because I wouldn't expect to see too much as Cody Simon as a guy who's played more north of a thousand reps in his career. Maybe they take it easy with him in the spring, him and a long list of other guys as well on this defense. But we're going to see a lot of CJ Hicks, a lot of Sonny Styles, a lot of Gabe Powers, a lot of Arvell Reese, a lot of Gabe, Gabe, excuse me, Garrett Stover, maybe not necessarily Peyton Pierce because he's coming off an injury he suffered in high school, but those other guys, I think we're going to see a lot of those guys, and I, I just want to see what it looks like with those guys taking over the linebacker position because that is the only question mark about this defense, and it's simply because they lost Tommy Eichenberg, who was a consensus two-time all, consensus second-team All-American a couple of years ago, and Steel Chambers, who had become a veteran at that position. Yeah, this was fourth on my list, um, so I did have one other position higher than this. Um, I think at linebacker, for me, it's it's so dependent on Sonny Styles. Like like Sonny Styles is the guy that kind of puts all this together. I I don't know if there were all these questions about Sonny Styles, if Sonny Styles was 100% a safety and was 100% going to play on the back end and there really wasn't a lot of talk about him going to linebacker. I don't know if linebacker would be this high. I don't know if it would be fourth, maybe it's on the, you know, honorable mention list or something like that. But Cody Simon you feel great about just kind of and feel great about, I mean, putting him in the starting lineup right now. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to argue against that. And it's a situation, like you said, where I I think it's just going to be matchup dependent and and who you're going to play. I I was thinking about a scenario the other day where Ohio state is going to have very, very unique matchups this year. And I think, especially as you get into the playoff, you're going to have very, very unique matchups. Like Ohio State plays Iowa at home, and then seven days later, they're in Eugene, Oregon, playing the Ducks. If there's a more contrasting difference of styles in in college football, I want to know what it is. The contrasting styles are one team is good at offense and the other team is not. Well, Well, yeah. I mean, obviously that's true, but it's also like Iowa doesn't even attempt to have the forward pass as a part of their offense, whereas Oregon tries to spread you out. So like you wonder in those situations, you know, is that a, a typical four, three look and against Iowa, I mean, and you just, you just run three linebackers out there and you try to get big and, and you try to match them up physicality wise and, and see where you go. And then against Oregon, okay. Are your linebackers CJ Hicks and Sonny styles because you want more speed out there and Cody Simon takes a seat. Like, but 
do you keep Simon on the field? You probably want to do that. So does that mean Sonny Styles is the guy next to him? Like there's there's a lot of different combinations, and I think you're going to get to see that in spring practice, right? Like you're going to get to see maybe some different combinations of kind of what they want to do and how they want to do it. So yeah, for me, I think linebacker two, um, you know, if, if, assuming you're just going to pencil in Cody Simon is that first linebacker spot. Linebacker two is really interesting because of Styles, but more accurately because you also have a couple other interesting guys that we just don't know a lot about. And it's not their fault. It's just you had Tommy Eckenberg and Steel Chambers out of them. You're not taking them off the field. So let's time to see what time to see what CJ Hicks has. Time to see what Gabe Powers has. So those are our first three. Some of them pretty obvious. Some of them a little bit more interesting, but quarterback, that offensive line spot and how things are going to shape out there. And then obviously that second linebacker spot. We're going to take a quick break here and then we'll come back and get to our last three on our list here on Buckeye Talk. Spring football is right around the corner. It starts March 5th, excuse me, on Tuesday. Ohio State will start the first of 15 practices in this spring slate obviously 14 of them are actual practices in that 15th practice it's just a spring game on april 13th so you should get the text 614-350-3315 this is a great time to get it we're going to be in the woody we're going to get a chance to see some open windows and see what guys look like see where guys are lining up and see the early stages of ohio state preparing for the 2024 regular season it's a two-week free trial 399 after that 614-350-3315 but for now we're talking about the most interesting position battles as Ohio State prepares to start spring practice on Tuesday. I, Andrew, you're up. What was next on your list of most intriguing position battles heading into Tuesday? Uh, wide receiver three, because I feel really good about Emeka Ibuka. I think you could probably tell Emeka Ibuka, hey man, um, put on your cleats. You're going to get some cardio during spring practice. We're going to keep you in shape. Don't really do much outside of that. Let's run some routes. Let's run some seven on seven with Will Howard. Let's get you some chemistry going there. But kick your feet up. Enjoy the warm weather in Ohio. Enjoy the warming weather in Ohio. I shouldn't say warm weather in Ohio. Uh, because 50, at this point, 55 degrees would feel like summer. But enjoy the weather, Emeka. Just take a chill pill. You know what? Do the thing that MLB closers do where you wear sliders, where you wear slides for, the, for, the, like the, for most of the game. Just halfway through practice, just leave. We don't need you. We, we got it. Carnell Tate, I I feel really good about what we saw from him in his freshman season. I mean, he was really good. Uh, what you saw was promising. I think what you heard was maybe a little bit more promising. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. really kind of waxed poetic about Carnell Tate and what he could do yeah. and all these kind of different things. So there's, you know, that's a really big deal. Um, you know, I think when you have a guy like that who can – just kind of vouch for who Carnell Tate is as a player. Um, and I think kind of, you're going to see that next step. The third one is so interesting to me because you've got a host of guys that I think are all interesting in their own ways, because you got Jaden Ballard, who is the same year as Mecca Buka and Ballard's got great speed. And do you want that speed out there kind of more often than not? And then you've got Brandon Innes who was in the same class as Carnell Tate and didn't really play very much i don't like i would have to go back and check like how many snaps he actually played but it was not much he he did not really see the field a lot so how much does brandon Innes kind of get involved in this offense can he be that third guy that that really can do some interesting things and then obviously there's jeremiah smith you know the dude who who shows up and you're you're asking questions like is this is this dude like 22 or is this dude 18 was he is he supposed to be in high school right now or is this guy like getting ready for his fourth Big Ten season? 
you know, just physically you see kind of what he looks like and it's really impressive. So I, 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 the, the third receiver position to me is really interesting because it can go a lot of different ways and it can be a really interesting discussion because if you end up with, you know, Emeka Buka and Brandon Ennis and Cornell Tate, I mean, you're setting up a 2025 receiver room that is fixing to look like Tate Ennis and Jeremiah Smith. And, and that's ridiculous. So yeah, I, I think that there's just so many different options and for way that for the where this can go, it's it's gonna be really interesting to see what Brian Hartline chooses and kind of how Ohio State decides to deploy their three receivers. I think wide receiver is underratedly the more intriguing thing in general. Even in the things you've already listed. I think you have to list the other spots ahead just because you're talking about starting spots, legit starting spots at spots where you lost your top guy at some of these situations. But with Emeka Abuka, I don't expect him to do much. But I think last year with Emeka Abuka and Julian Fleming and then Xavier Johnson, who got hurt during spring, not participating in the spring, it let them experiment with Marvin Harrison Jr. And he spent basically that entire spring working in the slot. While a lot of the young guys got opportunities, Keon Grays, uh, Caleb Brown, um, Kojo Antwi, at that time, Carnell Tate, Bryson Rogers, and Noah Rogers. Brandon Ennis had been in Columbus. He was around, but he wasn't technically in early enrollee. He was just around at times a lot in the spring. But a lot of the young guys got opportunities, and Marvin Harrison Jr. got to work out in the slot and develop that point of his game. We see how that worked out once the season started. I'm wondering if we're seeing a, a similar thing with Emeka Abuka, who knows the slot. He's been their starting slot receiver the last two years. And we, we had this conversation back in 2022, Andrew, before you joined us, about how would things work out when it felt like they had four guys, right? Marvin Harrison Jr. was Carnell Tate at that point where he's the starting X receiver. Jackson Smith, the jig was your returning wide receiver playing in the slot and then what do they do with that z spot with julian fleming and emeka buka is it a rotation there or is it can jackson play inside and outside and depending on where jackson is that's who else is on the field with him whether if he's in the slot it's julian fleming if he's outside it's emeka buka in the slot and i think a similar thing is playing out before our eyes right now carnell tate i think is the closest thing to let's pencil him in as a starter He's probably your X receiver. And maybe the X and Z and H don't even matter at this point, the way they move these guys around. But he's probably your second best weapon. Do they have a Mecca rep more outside? Because you do have Brandon Ennis, and so he gets more reps. But also, is Jeremiah Smith, the Jeremiah Smith element of this is also obviously intriguing, but also Jaden Ballard's entering year four. And he's always had this intriguing skill set that was very different than everybody else in the room because he's super, super fast. He's a crazy deep threat. In fact, if someone asks you to describe what you want your Z wide receiver to be, Jaden Ballard's skill set probably fits into a T. But there's more to this than just being fast. And there are things that you have to be able to be trusted out there to block, to catch the ball, to run the right routes and do all that other stuff, which is why anytime we've gotten intrigued by Jaden Ballard, who he participated in the pro day last year for CJ Stroud. And it was like, whoa, look at that guy. That guy's pretty fast. And then Brian Hartline shut it down every single time. Like there's more to this than just, hey, this guy might have four three speed, obviously. I mean, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson had four three speed, but that's not all they were at Ohio State. And so I think Carnell Tate, Brandon Ennis, Jaden Ballard, Jeremiah Smith, and Kojo Antwi and Keon Grays are in year 
three at this point. Bryson Rogers went into the transfer portal, maybe kind of, you know, was feeling himself a little bit with the way that Brian Hartland had been talking about the way he performed in bowl practice, went into the transfer portal, saw what his value was and may, uh, clearly didn't see anything he liked and decided to come back. I think it's just an interesting room where you have an opportunity to use a Mecca the same way you did Marvin Harrison Jr., where you can try him out at some different spots because he's pretty versatile. But also, it is just kind of open, Andrew. And let's just see what happens here. Does we, Do we come out of the spring going into the fall thinking, hey, Brian Hartline can go deeper into his rotation this year with the wide receivers? Or is it a situation where it's very similar to what we've seen the last three or four years, where you find your top three and that fourth and fifth guy maybe don't get as much as the top three get. Well, I wonder how much of this is going to play into the fact that we're in a 12-team playoff world now, you know, because we've talked about this a lot with running back. But I think, mm-hmm. I mean, look at receiver, right? Like, Emeka was yeah. hurt a lot of last year. And you want to have some built-up depth there. And especially with the way that the schedule lines up for you, you know, I think last year the schedule – the schedule worked for Ohio State in a different way than it's going to work for them in 2024. In 2023, the schedule worked for you in the way that you had a ramp-up period to Notre Dame. And that was obviously a very physical game, and that was obviously a really close game. And then you have a bye week. And then you have a ramp-up period to Penn State, right? And then you have a ramp-up period to Michigan. And it, it just kind of felt like there was always these these benchmarks that you were continually working toward on the schedule. That's not really here this year because by the time Ohio State gets to Oregon, that's their sixth game of the year. By the time they're on their on the plane back to Columbus, their season's half over, or at least the regular season, I should say, is half over. And you don't play anybody really of note in uh, non-conference play. There's three, and then you have uh, Michigan State on the road, and and that's a game that Ohio State should win really easily. So. I think you want to build up the depth because of that, because those are games where you can play guys and, and see what they can do. And I think that if you have any doubts or have any questions about, you know, what a Jeremiah Smith can do, hey, because I understand he's a number one recruit and everybody talks about him and just in a different way, but he is still a freshman and there are different nuances to the college game that you have to pick up. Can he be a blocker? Can he pick up the offense? Can he do the little things that maybe don't tip Ohio State's hand? Can he do the little things that don't tip his own hand as he's running routes? Like, there's just so many semantic things that I think you can work on early on. So for me, I, I think you got to be five or six deep uh, by the time you get into the season, just because you can afford it. Like, you got to know kind of your first rotation and your second rotation, and then you're going to get a Big Ten game against Michigan State, sorta Michigan State's boo. And then you're going to play Iowa at home and Iowa does have a really good defense. So you're going to get a little test up until a game where it's really going to be a, a kind of a showdown, I think in, in Eugene. So for me, it's, you got to have your depth ready to go and, and you got to have that built up early. I think it's just going to be interesting to see where guys are lining up throughout the spring. And I don't even think the order so much matters. You know who the names are and just where does Brian Hartline put them throughout the spring and who's continued to develop. And then when we get to fall camp, maybe you zero in on how guys might be used. Can you can you go four or five deep or do you decide that you can do that and still decide not to do that? I'm going to go with my last thing on my list and it's tight end. I'm just interested. This team likes to do two tight end sets. They like to go three tight end at times. And if you brought Will Kazmarek in to be your starter, now you're having a conversation of is Jelani Thurman ready for more? 
And if he's not, then maybe G Scott's just your tight end two all over again, which is not, I don't think G Scott played bad last year. I think he was fine. I just don't know if Jelani Thurman, the best of Jelani Thurman may be, be is going to be better than what I think G Scott, the best of G Scott is as a tight end. And that's with all due respect to G Scott. It's Jelani Thurman. I mean, he looks like a bit of a freak right there. And so do you have a, a clear top three? And is this a situation where you give Jelani every opportunity this spring? to show you he can be more than that while also understanding that you do have Will Kazmarek who's learning the offense and doing the install and all that stuff. But I think this spring is going to be about fun, making sure you have three guys at that spot. And then we can figure out the hierarchy once you get in the fall camp, Andrew. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I think tight end was probably sixth. You know, when I kind of mapped this out, it was just outside of the list that I had made for this, um, you know, with tight end, we talked about this as it relates to recruiting. Go listen to our other recruiting pod that we did earlier this week. Um, we talked about this with with the room. You can map out the room and say, all right, you got six names there and feel confident that you're going to find someone. And then that confidence does kind of wane a little bit the more that you look into some of these names and the more that you read about it. Because, you know, G. Scott, he's going into his fifth year. Do you feel confident in him being a number one tight end? Will Kazmarek joining a new team. Bennett Christian was suspended all of last year. Jelani Thurman, he's going into his second year. Like, is he ready to make this kind of jump? And then you have two freshmen in Max LeBlanc and Damarian Witten. So you've got four guys that aren't freshmen, and they've all got something that, not adversity, not, I mean, I guess maybe some adversity, but not a, a hindrance in, in every sense per se. It's just, you got to see more. So I think with tight end, it's it's really interesting because I think we could be in a situation like we're in with the linebackers where, all right, they got to throw it and mm-hmm. Jelani Thurman's in the game or they're playing a chop Robinson type defensive end or a, a dude like that, you know, a dude who's going to be a high first, second round pick, you know, a, a really talented defensive end or edge rusher or whatever kind of pass rusher you're going to face. And then you got to play Kazmarek because Josh Simmons needs help. Or Luke Montgomery mm-hmm. needs help, or Josh Fryer needs help, and, and you need to chip, and you want some blocking there. Or maybe you're running the game out at the end, and you're up by four, and Tremaine Henderson's got to get the ball, and Quinchon Jenkins has got to get the ball, and you just need to run it, and then Cosmeric comes in, and then oh no, you give it away, and the other team goes and scores. Now it's Jelani Thurman because you need a receiving threat. Like I just think that there's so much fluidity to this tight end room that um, it, it makes it pretty interesting to me, but. It's kind of a jumble right now. I, I, I think you just kind of have to wait and see and, you know, throw all these names in a dryer and pick one out at the end of spring and, and kind of see where you're at heading into the summer. So anything else you had? Yeah, the, the last position I had on this list, actually, the fifth spot I had was running back number one. I think this is a position that is really interesting to me because Trevion Henderson is really good. All right, that's it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Henderson is really good. And we saw what he can do when he's part of this offense, right? Like we saw the level of explosiveness against Rutgers. And we saw the level of explosiveness that he brought to this team. I mean, do you remember, Steven, the conversations we were having on this pod going into the Michigan game? We were like, is this offensive line getting better? Is this is this working? And and I think that they were getting better. I think that the offensive line had steadily improved. But I also think they – had just gotten a big dose of Trevion Henderson back into the lineup. And that had been a really, really beneficial factor for them. So Trevion Henderson's great. I also think we need to kind of remind ourselves that Quinshawn Judkins is really good too. 
right? You know, Quinshawn Judkins did not come here to sit on the bench and, and kind of ride pine for, you know, two weeks and, and just kind of wait and see. He had 2,000 yard seasons at Ole Miss and he has 31 career rushing touchdowns in two seasons at Ole Miss. Like, this is not a dude who is, uh, you're taking a chance on. You know, this is not a, you know, a guy that is coming into your lineup and you're looking at him and saying, maybe, maybe one day. He, he is a very much finished product in terms of what he kind of is right now and, and kind of what he can give you in a lineup. If Trevion Henderson had gone to the NFL, you'd feel great about Quinshawn Judkins as your number one running back. So to me, I, I think that Quinshawn Judkins, maybe it's that Henderson has been here a while. Maybe it's that, you know, Henderson has the explosiveness factor. I, I don't quite know what it is. Um, you know, it, typically it goes the other way where people are, you know, very intrigued by this bright new shiny toy and they want to see what it can do. But I think a lot of people are maybe forgetting that Quinshawn Judkins is a very, very, very talented running back. And he does make up one half of the best running back duo in college football. So what does that split look like? Is it 60-40? Is it 70-30? Like how how do they manage touches? And and I think we're not going to be able to get to see this until at least the spring game, probably not until they play actual football games in August and September. But like, are there certain packages for these guys? Like, is, do they value Quinshawn as a interior guy who can who can do, you know, inside the tackle stuff and you know he's kind of your grinded out guy and you're all around running back and then uh cover yours Buckeye fans do they just run stretch to the boundary with Trevion Henderson like are they just kind of getting him out in space and doing those things there's just there's so many different dynamics that play with running back I think that a lot of people are forgetting that this is a really talented guy that Ohio State brought in and it would not shock me at all if we end up in like a 50-50 timeshare split headed into the season I just think Quinn Chad Jenkins is that good yeah, I think Jerry Henderson is going to be your starting running back. I think him, the the him just being in the program longer, he'll, he'll be the guy. He'll be the guy who takes the first snap every single game. And I think I didn't have running back on my list simply because I, the the, answer, the questions I have for that can't be answered in the spring. It's it, the only question I would have that could be answered in the spring is how much are they going to put on Travion Henderson as a guy who's been a starter for you for the last three years, and also how much are you going to put on Quinshawn Judkins, who he hasn't been a starter here, but he's been a starter in the SEC the last two years and has north of 500 carries already in his career. How do you balance in a room that has those two at the top, Dallin Hayden next up, and then two true freshmen in the room? How are you balancing getting Quinshawn Judkins? you know, comfortable with the offense, getting Travion Henderson comfortable with Chip Kelly in this offense, getting what you need from both of those guys from a rep standpoint, but also not pushing them too much because you don't need to put too many, too much treasure on their tires in the spring. While also Dallin Hayden, James Peoples, and Sam Williams Dixon probably could use all of those reps in the spring. So I think just finding that balance for those two guys and then ramping it up in the fall camp will be an interesting thing, but I can't wait until fall camp when you get to see Tony offer and answer questions about how he's going to split up the reps because he's going to, you haven't experienced it yet. You haven't experienced him going, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how this is going to work out yet. You guys ask me this question every year and I tell you the same thing. I don't have the answers yet. So it'll be fun. Does he have that deep of a voice? Have you never talked to Tony offer before? 
not I don't remember ever being in a scrum with Tony Alford. I know he's come no. out during the season, but it was only like once or twice, and I don't believe yeah. that I was ever here because okay. we have they have three tables set up, but I think I was just yeah, at other fair. tables. I it might not be that deep, but it's he's got a deeper voice. He's got yeah. I, yeah. So you'll get to experience that in fall camp when we start asking him those questions. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see how Tony Alford handles the reps in the spring when you've got two guys who have as many snaps as what Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins have, but also trying to get them comfortable with the offense, trying to get them comfortable with what's going to new, be a new starting quarterback this year. Those are our top things going into the spring practice, the top position battles we're watching. Some of them are just outright for starting positions. Some of them are specific within a position group. And some of them are just how things are going to work out, which might be an evolving thing throughout the spring. That's that portion of this. Shout out to Nathan once again for bringing us insight from the NFL Combine, his second day out there talking with Kate Stover and Josh Proctor. He'll be out there for a couple more days there. Marvin Harrison Jr. left to talk and Matthew Jones left to talk. And Mayan Williams left to talk at the NFL Combine. So get the tech 614-350-3315. Spring practice right around the corner. Two-week free trial, $399 after that, I promise you. I say this all year, but there's never a bad time. This is why this is a good time because you don't get to see football. But we get to see some football, and we want to tell you guys about that football through the text, 614-350-3315. So it's for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis. I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>